a cursory look at the traffic count for the only other Sunday edition of Charlottesville Community Engagement reveals that the audience for this one will likely be quite low. A cursory look at the backlog of stories indicates that there's no time like the present for this May 29th, 2022 edition of the program, packed with transportation information to avoid future frustration. I'm your host, Sean Tubbs, and I've got a golden ticket to ride. On today's program, the city of Charlottesville warns of a slowdown at issuing new building permits due to staff shortages. A Charlottesville man has been charged with involuntary manslaughter in a May 15th crash on US-29 that killed the driver of a second vehicle. Governor Glenn Youngkin vetoes several bills for which the General Assembly opted not to take up his recommendations. And the Charlottesville City Council and the Planning Commission have been presented with recommendations to reboot transportation planning in the city after a series of long delays and cost overruns. In today's first Patreon-fueled shout-out, algorithms know how to put songs and artists together based on genre or beats per minute but only people can make connections that engage your mind and warm your heart. The music on WTJU 91.1 FM is chosen by dozens and dozens of volunteer hosts, music lovers like you who live right here in the Charlottesville area. Listener donations keep WTJU alive and thriving. In this era of algorithm-driven everything, go against the grain. Tune in and support Freeform Community Radio on WTJU 91.1 FM. Consider a donation at WTJU.net slash donate. The Albemarle County Police Department has charged a Charlottesville man on several counts related to a two-vehicle crash that killed one person on the evening of May 15th. 22-year-old Christian Alexandro Salinas Perez faces charges of aggregated involuntary manslaughter and driving after losing his license after previous convictions of driving while intoxicated. The crash near the intersection of US-29 and Greenbrier Drive killed 35-year-old Justin Tillman of Charlottesville. The Albemarle County Police Department's crash reconstruction team concluded that the vehicle driven by Salinas Perez allegedly was being driven at an excessive speed when it collided with the one driven by Tillman. Salinas Perez was arrested and is being held without bond at Albemarle Charlottesville Regional Jail. Staff shortages are causing the city of Charlottesville's Department of Neighborhood Development Services to put a pause on building and trade inspections between May 31st and June 13th. Here's a section from a press release that went out on Friday afternoon. The department acknowledges the inconvenience this may cause and appreciates everyone's patience and cooperation during this time. That means major delays in the issuance of new building permits and new inspections. The release points to the Department of Neighborhood Development Services website for information about the city's policy on third-party inspections. Here's a section from a form. The third-party inspection policy program allows substitute inspectors to perform the daily inspections normally completed by Charlottesville building inspectors after our approval. 
There are several open positions on the city's jobs board in the Neighborhood Development Services office. These include Building Code Official, which pays between $73,474 and $96,096 a year. In the meantime, the release states that NDS will continue to process permits and inspections as quickly as possible. Governor Glenn Youngkin has completed action on legislation that cleared both houses of the General Assembly in this year's regular session. Youngkin signed 23 bills to which his amendments had been reviewed by the legislature and vetoed seven others in which his recommendations were rejected in the House of the Bill's origin. The vetoed bills are... SB 182 and HB 339, which would have allowed the City of Falls Church to allow anyone over the age of 18 to sit on a board or commission, rather than a qualified registered voter. Youngkin suggested adding a requirement that the person be legally present in the United States. The Senate rejected that requirement and another on party lines. The House voted their version down 18 to 22. Senate Bill 474 and House Bill 614 would have dropped a requirement that indigent parties post a bond to appeal on an unlawful detainer. Youngkin would have allowed a payment plan to pay off that bond over time. The Senate rejected that recommendation on party lines, and the House of Delegates voted that recommendation down on a 35-65 to vote. Senate Bill 508 would have moved the administration of the Virginia Community Flood Preparedness Fund from the Department of Conservation and Recreation to the Virginia Soil and Water Conservation Board. Youngkin's recommendations were related to membership and what would constitute a quorum. Here is what he said in his veto explanation. This legislation will have the unintended consequence of fragmenting our coastal resiliency efforts. HB 384 would have protected state and local employees from being penalized for speaking on public policy matters at public hearings. The bill is related to the firing of a teacher in Loudoun County, and Youngkin said in his explanation that he supports this idea in theory. Here's what he wrote. Despite the positive intentions, the legislation has practical implications for the effective management of state government that may lead to significant confusion when state employees comment during legislative or regulatory public comment periods. HB 891 would have removed the term alien from Virginia Code. For information on that, in a link in the newsletter and for the full list of bills signed by the governor, read the press release that went out Friday afternoon. For the full rules of how these vetoes and recommendations and signings all work, consult Article 5, Section 6 of the Virginia Constitution. Sometimes no news is still worth copy. It's been over three weeks since the last motion was filed in the case of Goldman v. Brink. Richmond attorney Paul Goldman filed suit in federal court last year against the State Board of Elections, arguing that House elections held last November would not be constitutional because they were based on the 2010 census. Flash forward to now, when we're just over five months away from when a House of Delegates election would be held, if this case went the same way as a similar case in 1981 that led to delegate races in 1981, 1982, and 1983. Goldman has argued that the same principle applies, but first, he still has to convince the court that he has the legal standing to bring the case. On May 5th, Judge David J. Novak warned Goldman to stop filing new motions, 
after a request for the court to allow consideration of the leaked draft of a Supreme Court ruling that overturned constitutional protections for abortion, was rejected. Earlier this week, there were rumors that Goldman would file a motion to withdraw the suit, but since then, there's been no official action in the docket. As of this recording, the most recent document in the docket was Novak's warning. You're listening to Charlottesville Community Engagement, and it's time for the second Patreon-fueled shout-out, as well as the debut of our first Sunday comic. In that Patreon-fueled shout-out, this year, WTJU 91.1 FM turns 65, and to mark the occasion, there's a new micro-museum exhibition this summer. Radio Relics traces WTJU's storied history of broadcasting for our community. As part of the 65 anniversary celebrations, WTJU has curated photos, artifacts, and t-shirts. So many t-shirts, spanning more than six decades. The exhibition is free and will be open Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. from June 3rd through July 29th. The museum space is a renovated vintage camper parked behind WTJU Studios at 2244 Ivy Road in Charlottesville. WTJU's Radio Relics exhibition shows off some of the artifacts collected over the years, many contributed by former WTJU general manager Chuck Taylor. In fact, there's even a new initiative to raise money through the Chuck Taylor Fund for WTJU History. Contact general manager Nathan Moore to learn more or donate today. And here is that Sunday comic for this Sunday installment of Charlottesville Community Engagement. Aspiring comedian Joseph Tubbs of Lynchburg, Virginia, submitted this. Two monkeys in the zoo. One monkey says, you're the monkey, boy, I'm hungry. And the other monkey says, well, what do you want to eat? He says, I think I'll have a piece of toast. He says, toast? How can you get toast in the zoo? And the other monkey says, stick it in the gorilla. <laughs> Should we extend the comics to more editions of Charlottesville Community Engagement? They will be a podcast-only feature. Let me know by dropping me a line. But back to the regular portion of this program, and we have a long story now about transportation planning in Charlottesville. There's a lot of details here, but that's what you're paying me to do here at Town Crier Productions. The city of Charlottesville has planned and built most of the transportation infrastructure projects within city limits that have been constructed since 2005. Soon after, Deputy City Manager for Operations Sam Sanders took on that role last summer, he noticed there were some performance issues that require a total reboot of the way the city undertakes this work. Some initial assessments when I first arrived here was that the development review process uh, within NDS needed some attention. And in doing that work since I've been here, I've discovered that it was more than just that. It was also looking closely at what was happening on the public works engineering side of the house. Sanders said there was not a lot of institutional knowledge, and there was a lot of work that needed to be done. First is to improve the city's relationship with the Virginia Department of Transportation. The second being evaluating our financial management of projects with our project managers, uh, as well as our budget and finance team and assessing project management capacity. 
The city has over $185 million in funds from VDOT that it has been awarded, but have not yet resulted in a constructed project. These include four streetscape projects funded in the first two rounds of the SmartScale process, five other projects funded in the second two, as well as projects funded through VDOT's revenue sharing program. That figure also includes the $35.4 million Belmont Bridge project, which is now under construction after well over a decade of planning. The other projects still face delays. Sanders said his department's recommendations would seek a right-sizing of what the city can handle. He said Charlottesville could lose some projects and make it harder to receive additional funding from the state in the future. A hatchet approach would have been to just attempt to kill a lot of projects and then try to go forward. Tonight's approach is really a more surgical approach, so we can not only get our arms around our challenges and reset budgets and timelines, we're also attempting to position ourselves for a share of the massive pipeline of infrastructure dollars that are coming in the near future. City engineer Jack Dawson detailed all the improvements included in that $185 million, and some of that money came from sources that no longer exist or can't adequately be traced. Lots of our projects have been around for a long time and have sort of outlasted old grant programs. And so uh, very specifically the Belmont Bridge that has almost a little bit of everything thrown in there. So some of the accounting does get trickier. Dawson described the division's responsibilities, and I'll briefly mention two of them. Transportation planning involves making new designs comply with documents such as the Streets That Work plan, the Standards and Design Manual, and the Bike and Pedestrian Master Plan. Another overarching responsibility is for project management, and the list of duties for the urban construction initiative process is extensive. Uh, RFP and selection of consultants and contractors, accounting, grant management, reimbursement processes, consultant oversight, right-of-way coordination negotiations, and construction management, or CDI, on those projects. The city currently has four project managers, and each of them has 8.25 projects under their belt. Seven projects are currently unassigned. A transportation planner has been hired in the Department of Neighborhood Development Services, and other positions in public works are being advertised. The goal is to get the average number of projects to 3.3 per manager. Institutional knowledge at the top level also isn't great, which is perhaps understandable in a city with a lot of recent turnover at the executive level. For example, Dawson pointed to a project that has the name Seaville Signals, which is currently classified as a revenue-sharing program with funds that came from a previous project. This project has a $3.3 million estimate, but there's a shortfall of nearly $2.2 million. How we get into some of these situations, uh, that was conceived to use money from the leftovers Solutions 29 money, which... Um, you know, I don't even know what that is, Solutions 29, but that's what they tell me. Route 29 Solutions refers to a series of $230 million in projects that were planned, and some of them were constructed, after the Commonwealth Transportation Board canceled a 6.2-mile western bypass of US-29 that had been a priority of the administration of Governor Bob McDonnell. An unfavorable ruling from the federal government, as well as a change on the Albemarle Board of Supervisors in the 2013 election, effectively killed that project in early 2014, and all of the funding was planned through a process known as Route 29 Solutions. 
This resulted in the completion of a construction of a grade-separated intersection at Rio Road and US-29, the widening of US-29 to six lanes between Polo Grounds Road and Ashwood Boulevard, and construction of Burkmar Drive extended to Hollymead Town Center. Leftover funds were recommended for future plans that had not yet been fully planned out, including one that originally had the title Adaptive Traffic Signal Technology. The funding was authorized for that purpose by the Commonwealth Transportation Board in June of 2014, but Dawson said there has not been a recent good analysis of what that project is intended to do. Since the Route 29 Solutions planning work was completed in 2014, the city has been through five city managers. None of the current city councilors serving today were elected before 2019. And then there's West Main Street, which started off as a $350,000 study authorized by council in February of 2013 that somehow grew into a $55 million project that has been more or less defunded but still exists on paper. Dawson said the current cost of construction is making it more likely that all of these projects that will come forward will have cost overruns. Now is a horrible time to price uh, these things because there's just some construction materials out there that cannot be found. As part of the right-sizing, Dawson recommends several projects be shelved and put on hold and potentially used for future applications for funding. These are all four phases of the West Main Streetscape project, the aforementioned Signals project, Monticello and Ridge improvements, Harris Road improvements, and Elliott Street improvements. There's also another smart-scale project at Preston and Grady that was awarded $6.1 million. Now, the city's direction is to give it back. We took the tact of we want to demonstrate to Vida that we can complete projects. Dawson said the purpose of each project would continue to be evaluated. The Monticello Ridge project, for example, would be addressed during the smart-scale project for Ridge Street. He said the Department of Neighborhood Development Services will conduct a small area plan for the area of Preston and Grady before reapplying for more funding for that area. In all, Dawson said the city will return about $12 million in smart-scale projects that would be redistributed to other projects in VDOT's Culpeper District. Dawson said he hopes this funding will be returned back to the city to deal with about $10 million in cost overruns for those existing smart-scale projects. That decision is ultimately up to the Commonwealth Transportation Board. The city will also turn over to VDOT administration of a turn lane on US-250 that's related to improvements at the intersection of Hydraulic and US-29. We do, as a city, like to control our own projects so we can have input on, on the destiny of those projects. And I think this is a good one to sort of ease the administrative burden on my staff. Dawson is also suggesting combining the two existing smart-scale projects in the Ridge 5th Street corridor into one, as well as adding the project that comes out of the ongoing efforts to reformat the four-lane highway that is 5th Street. While those have three different funding sources, um, we're going to hope to combine them into one project and then have a project manager that deals with those as one while we manage the finances in triplet to try and minimize overhead from a project management standpoint, maybe bid them all to one consultant, that sort of thing. That's the approach that VDOT took with both the Route 29 Solutions Project as well as a suite of smart scale projects that Albemarle County was awarded in the second round. On Thursday, the city awarded bids for construction of two related projects on Rose Hill Drive and Rugby Avenue. 
Vess Excavating of Charlottesville bid $464,823 for the Rose Hill Sidewalk Project, and Linko of Waynesboro will build intersection improvements at Rose Hill Drive and Rugby Avenue. Linko bid $621,691.59. Dawson's boss is Stacy Smalls, the relatively new director of the Public Works Department. He said there needs to be more transparency about how the city does this work. We would like to present on VDOT project status to council and the planning commission on a yearly basis. This incorporates accountability and transparency about our workload, the types of projects we are undertaking and what areas in the city we are improving with these particular projects. Small said the city will also move to create web pages for each project. In the meantime, if you're interested in volunteering for Civilpedia to help me with that aspect, I'll be more than happy to speak with you and get you moving. Ha! I've tried to keep track of these things for 15 years now, and I hope that others will get involved so that more community members know how this process works. Council will consider each of these steps officially at future meetings. Here's Deputy City Manager Sam Sanders again. VDOT is, is expecting us to move quickly. Um, they are very, we're, this is very coordinated with them uh, to be able to get action taken by council to then put in front of uh, the leadership at VDOT so that we can move forward. The pieces will stay in motion and continue reading and listening to Charlottesville Community Engagement to try to keep track of all of the moving parts. In the next installment of this program, we'll be hearing about the Rio Road Corridor Plan as well as a regional transit vision for the area. Thank you for all of the supporters who are helping me keep track of how these things are put together, because that is the role of this particular brand of community journalism. And I thank you. But that is it for this Sunday edition of Charlottesville Community Engagement. What will be the next thing that comes out? There will be a week ahead and a government glance that come out I don't know if it's going to come out on Monday or early Tuesday morning. It is a holiday, and apparently people take this time off. I am taking the time off to sort of try to figure out what the future of Town Crier Productions is and trying to work to make sure that there is a lot of brightness as I try to shine a light on things that might seem obscure. But I will just say that there are others who want to control this process and they don't want you to have this information. I want you to have this information so that you know how you would vote if you were on city council, because maybe one day you would be, or maybe one day you'll sit on the planning commission. I think you'd do a better job if you knew these details starting now. And that's why I bring them here to try to get a couple things moving here as I can. I am Sean Tubbs, and of course, uh, there's many ways to support this program. Ting, the internet company Ting, will match your first contribution, and hundreds of you have taken me up on this offer. Okay, maybe like 150, but that's, that's kind of a, okay, dozens, dozens of you have done that. If you have not the funds for that, just send it on to somebody else. Would really appreciate that. Uh, I do hope to be back in the near future with another one of these things. Uh, I'm going to keep going. Uh, it could be June 1st before we get to another edition of Charlottesville Community Engagement. It also could be Tuesday. I don't know. As I said, there's a backlog of stories, and I am dedicated to bringing them to you each and every installment of Charlottesville Community Engagement. I'm your host, Sean Tubbs. <sighs> there's no rest, and I'm not going to take one. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.